Well, everybody, I think the time has come to talk about RPGs. I know uh, among all of us, we have different experiences playing them. So, of course, everybody has a lot to talk about with a certain topic, and uh, we'll get a lot of feedback from it. Origin story time, I think. Origin RPGs. story? Yeah. Because yeah, I know Meachums is the least prepared. Why don't you start? No, no I, oh, trust me, I'm prepared. <laughs> Why don't you go there? I, I, could, I could tell you my very first experience with an RPG. Yeah. You sure it's the right one, or are you going to backtrack later? No, it's it's absolutely the right one. Because you got to think about well, you got to think about that, right? Because no, I <laughs> I absolutely remember my first RPG experience. All right, so, so Mia Chums, top ten RPGs <laughs> <laughs> featuring at least three battle songs and Minimum a false ending that thinks, and a false ending that makes you think you beat the final boss, but it's not. <laughs> and then extends for another ten hours. Shouts out to um, Rapid Fire. Yeah. Um, no, but honestly, my first experience with an RPG was the Mario RPG on the Super Nintendo. I remember being at a friend's house and seeing the cartridge. Like, wow, I've never seen this Mario game before. I'm like, hey, let's try it out. I love Mario. Puts it in. And I'm like, um, what the heck is this? Like, where's like the Koopas that you jump on? And why am I stopping to read things every five seconds? Well, did you, did you, did you jump into a brand new game of Super Mario RPG or was in the middle of his file or something? No, he just turned it on and I'm pretty sure it was a new file. And I'm just like, ah, this is stupid. Like, I want to like get the feather and fly around and, you know, stomp on some Koopas and stuff like that. So that was what was your initial and take then? Just with the entire just, shift and just I didn't like it. I I was like, this is not for me. I, I, you know, all this reading. No, I, I no, thank you. Let's put in Super Mario World. So that was my first experience ever with an RPG. I remember renting Mario uh, Mario RPG as well. It was around the time when I was first starting to discover RPGs, and I had a similar experience where I wasn't completely. I wasn't completely feeling it. It was just kind of weird. Um, you know, it was, I can't exact, I can't exactly remember the year that I rented it, but it was just, I mean, now looking back at it, I love the game cause I appreciate it more, but as someone that, uh, my first RPG was Final Fantasy seven playing it at my grandfather's house and then going from something like Final Fantasy seven, the Mario RPG, like not to take away from it, but just the whole slowed down style of it like the the goofy writing was kind of like over my head at the time but so p your first rpg was final fantasy 7 or super mario rpg then final fantasy 7 like that was the first one that i truly played first but, rpg ever you play wow that's yeah that's but you gotta remember I was, to yeah but you gotta remember though the game came out in 97 i was 10 years old oh that's so if I you think about forgetting. it like that it's it's not too surprised like a lot of people are like wait final fantasy 7 was your first rpg it's like yeah but i was 10 <laughs> So, you know, it's not like I was sitting down playing like freaking wizardry when I'm six <laughs> years old, you know? So. Sorry, Pete. Sometimes, you know, I always have to reset it in my mind, like <laughs> that you're that, that you're, that you're younger. And then like, cause the way that you talk about games sometimes it's, it would be no different as if I was sitting there talking to like someone I, like my same age that we grew up playing games. And sometimes <laughs> the perspective is really off and I need that reset sometimes. No, no, it's, it's cool. 
But uh, I mean, I don't want to detract from Mia Chums because he's still got nine more games to go. So Mia Chums. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, let's see. No, but yeah, for for sure that was my first that experience. But when did you discover that you that you liked I, RPGs? When I discovered it, well, we got the PS One. My mom wanted it in a raffle, and we got some demo discs with it. And one of them was that uh, was it the interactive CD demo that had the Final Fantasy VII on it and Bushido Blade and and. Uh, I no, that was demo disc. Squaresoft's demo disc. One of their. Oh, which one was that? Are you sure? I thought it was interactive. It it might have been, and it had like an interview with one of the creators. And but anyway, so I saw Final Fantasy VII, the demo on it, and I played the hell out of that demo. I must have played it like in max it out. So probably. was the demo like the infiltration uh, of midgar like the beginning yes, of the game the very yeah, that's beginning such a, that's such a great way to demo that game oh it was amazing and i just couldn't get enough and i would be begging my parents for final fantasy 7 like like crazy and mm. eventually one day on my birthday probably a year um after finally got it played the hell out of that too and yeah, so that was my first like, That's real funny. taste of art. You're right, Meachim. It was the PlayStation Underground 2 disc that was essentially a oh, Squaresoft yeah. specific one. It had the Underground, mm-hmm. Saga Frontier, and Tactics, oh, yep. and Final Fantasy VII. Did you play any of the other RPGs there? No, or? it was just Final Fantasy VII. I loved it. It probably took me an hour each time to play it, but God, I loved it. You know, you should speedrun that. They have speedruns oh, for the demo <laughs> disc of Final Fantasy VII. Like, Do they really? Yeah, if like so for people that are looking to get into speedrunning RPGs. Wow. There there's a pretty big community behind people that speedrun only the first mission in 7 like defeating that the scorpion and stuff. Unbelievable. Are there changes yeah. in that demo too like from the normal game? I am not sure. Uh, very subtle. Uh, there's there's nothing like too crazy that would really be um enough to warrant like oh, there's a category for the demo and a category for like the actual game takes takes about an hour by the way me chums so yeah I don't this know, is man. my slow goal to get people from <laughs> speed running bowling games to rpgs it takes Come an on, hour man. to get out of midgar are you serious well to be completely done with it i oh think my God. i think speed running it speed running oh speed yeah, brunch, yeah. brunch has the privilege of like i wish i was in his shoes right now of being able to play final fantasy 7 blind right now I, I so like, I, yeah. tell us about that how is that going for you i know you're narrating the whole thing and everything which is god good luck to your voice yeah no i, I well you you suggested maybe doing two days a week so i can finish it by the end of this uh decade but i <laughs> I, I yeah after one day my entire streaming week is shot because my voice is so raspy afterwards but it's, it's a lot of fun i mean I, I admit i did start it you know like 10 15 years ago and i only played i didn't get out of midgar i played the first like hour and a half three hours but at that point you're still pretty much blind on it because you oh, don't yeah. remember you don't know exactly and, and now i'm past that point so i'm completely blind I, i'm i'm enjoying it a lot and i've only played i've only completed probably a handful of rpgs and this has been you know my last rpg i completed probably 10 years ago um so i'm, I'm really enjoying it but it, it, it's weird going back to it and a lot of people when they come into the stream they say are you do you really like this like this game the graphics look terrible and i'm like that doesn't i, I I, I think graphics really? of that generation were amazing. Wow. Like, wait, favorite, so wait, people favorite. are actually saying the graphic. I mean, here's the thing. We understand that 7 doesn't have the best character models, but for the time, like that game was stunning. 
Oh yeah, no, I, I, and especially the battle sequence. I think the character models in the battle sequence are are so beautiful. And in the low poly, I like low poly count. I don't know about a lot of people, and I know nowadays every single iteration of Final Fantasy, and I watch all the commercials and see the, uh, the previews and whatnot. They they top themselves, you know, graphically. So I think people are using that comparison to look back at this and say, "What the hell is this garbage?" Uh, but for me, I love that generation N sixty four, PS one, you know, Saturn, etc. Like that, that's that's my jam. So I don't agree with them. Uh, I also feel like it's kind of become cool lately for people to hate on Final Fantasy 7. You've yeah. noticed that? You've noticed mm-hmm. that as well? Yeah, it's becoming the new thing to kind of like just hate on, not hate, hate is such a strong word, but like, you know, uh, sort of heckle people that really enjoy Final Fantasy 7 because apparently it's it's not the cool thing to do to call that your favorite. Almost, you everyone, almost everyone now seems to call it overrated. You know, for even Crazy. back at that time. Um, I wonder, were they alive back when this game came out? Like, yeah. that's like, my I can, question. I will never forget the first time I played Seven, even though I didn't know what was going on. I, I still was just stunned by the imagery. In the Dude, seven. the hype for that game before it came out was just. Yeah, was, I don't know if there's ever been was, hype like that. The marketing campaign Crazy. behind it, and just the entire, you know, Sony's now has the franchise that you fell exactly. in with on the Super Nintendo, and it's going to yep. be a huge. It was like a huge you know with, with cgi cutscenes, you know uh, cd uh quality soundtrack it was just play, it was such a monumental seven. swing for the playstation to have it to have it exclusive and oh man that just just that entire imagine period. going from six to seven and i didn't even have oh, that privilege dude. of knowing like what came before seven you know just but going in the seven completely blind imagine playing that game without a guide or any semblance of an idea of what was to come your <sighs> mind was blown if you like if you grew up liking sci-fi or fantasy or like Steam anything <laughs> steampunk and you played seven it was just there was nothing else like it on home console or anything in general at the time so is it surely you've played other uh rpgs that are that was that your first one that you've played all the way through brunch no i haven't, I haven't, I, I haven't I, no 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 i i've uh I've played a few all the way through. Uh, Super Mario RPG, of course, being one of them, which I, you know, love. I, I find actually, I was wondering, Pete, did you find uh, that game unenjoyable when you first played it because of how offbeat it was, the weirdness of it, or was that an endearing factor when you first played it? I didn't catch that. I mean, I appreciated the graphics of it. I, I liked the pre-rendered look of it, but this was during a time where I was still trying to grasp what the big deal was about RPGs and like why it's so fun to be stuck in a battle that is sort of inanimate for extended periods of time. But I think it was due to my age as well, back in a time where I didn't really appreciate truly the the story of the games I was playing and how important that could be in an RPG. Yeah. So, uh, I was you know, I, I, don't forget too, I grew up with Sega. I was mostly right. a Sega kid. And Super Nintendo, while I did buy it, while it was still brand new in the stores, um, I had less of an attachment to Mario than I did for Sonic. Like, you know, it would have been insane if Mario RPG was, say, Sonic RPG on the Genesis. <laughs> then we would be mm-hmm. we'd, we'd be talking something different here. But yeah, it was just a confusing time of until it. I, I don't think RPGs really clicked for me until a couple years after I played Final Fantasy VII, which I disliked when I first played it. Honestly, not like dislike, but I'm like, what are these numbers popping up above? I, I didn't understand RPGs mm-hmm. back then, and a couple years passed, and then I, I truly understood what the genre is about. Um, with games like Wild Arms, that was the first RPG I ever bought uh, to personally own outside of like renting it or trying it from someone else. Um, I think after that, like just the combination of 
a good story, being able to appreciate the story and the music and the graphics, uh, and it just went from there. Hmm. But I want I want to get Fritz Vogel in on the conversation as well, Fritz, because I'm not I'm not too familiar with uh, what your history with RPGs is and where it kind of started for you. Okay, my first RPG. Um, wait for it. It's Pokemon uh, on the Game Boy. Um, technically, Game Boy Color. I started out really late with the Pokemon series. Um, started out with Crystal, but. It's a, it's an RPG, and many people do not realize it, that they played an RPG. Like, you have all the elements of an RPG game, leveling up, experience points, etc., battling. So that was actually my first one. But it's I funny didn't... you say that, because that was my first RPG as well. Yeah. <laughs> but See? Here's the backtracking. I'm telling you guys. You guys don't think <laughs> about it. <laughs> well, but, it, but she's right. Like, you don't think about that as an RPG back when you play it, where, meanwhile, everybody was playing it. You know, I, I kind of feel like Pokemon is like its own freaking genre, though. But, yeah, it's funny you bring that up, but go ahead. Well, technically, I think it is. So, when everyone's like, oh, I don't like RPGs, or I never played them, if you're playing Pokemon, you probably did. So that was my first one, but I didn't put too much thought into that entire system. Where I was like, I need more of this. Um, I started out a bit later on. Um, well, okay. Um, on the PlayStation 1, we owned the console, but my parents were all into action games like Medieval and Crash Bandicoot. So even though I had like this art thing for Final Fantasy VIII and I was staring at this art for hours on end, I was like, I need to play this. My parents weren't into that genre. So I didn't get to play Final Fantasy VIII until a few years later. So I started out with Golden Sun 2. It was the game my mum bought me. And uh, it was really interesting, though. I would have liked to start out with the first Golden Sun. I started out with the second one. Yeah, because the story picks up immediately. (laughs) Well, not like immediately, but it's strongly tied to the first one. But that's that's a problem you face when you have parents who actually buy your games and have no say in whatever game you want to play. So I wasn't complaining. I really enjoyed Golden Sun, too. And uh, since my parents started uh, selling games on eBay and stuff, I got my hands on, on Final Fantasy VIII. I was meant to actually test the CDs so that they were working, and I never came out with that game ever again out of my womb. So uh, I really enjoyed that experience. Now, this is interesting. So your first, one of your first RPGs and your first Final Fantasy was Final Fantasy VIII. Yeah. Tell us what that was like, because that game is notorious for being very... Very polarizing. Yeah, very polarizing, very different in its mechanics. Like, how did you grasp... About how old were you? Like, how did you grasp the GF system and the summoning? And, like, the menus in that game are just crazy. And the draw system. Yeah. How did that go? Well, thing is, I never really finished it. Um, (sighs) I started it... I think I was 13 when I got my hands on it. And... My mind was blown by the CGI graphics, um, like those cinematics. Even even when I started, like, how old was I? 2003, 2004? Like, we had more advanced games, but even then my mind was blown seeing the art. As for the game itself, I didn't have a guide and I didn't have internet, but I somehow managed to kind of 
get my way through. Um, I got stuck in places which were way too easy because sometimes when it's too easy for me, I just don't get it. <laughs> so I just get stuck. But that GF system, I kind of managed it. But since I replayed the game a few years ago, um, I had to look up for the final battles, how the actual system works. Like, it's really complicated, actually, when you really look into it. And for the final ending, like, you, you kind of need to know that. But I didn't really care about it too much. I just wanted to play for the story and level up and fight monsters. So it didn't bother me too much in, in some way. Yeah, because I played... I went back and played Final Fantasy VIII last year or so for the first time in a long time. And once you figure out the complexities of that game, it's so broken. Like, the game yeah. becomes, like, aggravating and hard to understand to something that you can just snowball your way through because of how freaking broken the stats are in that mm. game when you figure out the GF system. Mm. I, had people, I had people help me out, and they're like, oh, this is how you do this. And it's like, wait a minute. <sighs> This is just stupidly broken now. Like, I'm killing bosses in a couple hits. So you know the weird yeah. thing about that, too, Pete, in Final Fantasy VIII, is that all the guides that came out at that time, the Prima guides, like, they did not focus on that in terms of calling it out as a mechanic that was so overpowered. Well, it think of it this way, If they would have truly explained the GF system, they wouldn't need a guide because everybody would just be able to blow through the whole freaking game. Yeah. <laughs> like, no strategy involves. You just blow through everything. Yeah. Yeah, and even that game, um, like, I like to level up in games and RPGs. I'm sometimes, you know, just don't think about anything, just fight battles and be done with it. But since I was leveling up, I think it was Final Fantasy VIII, all your enemies level up with you. You know, you're not overpowered. They actually level up with you. Oh, God. One <laughs> so of my. I was actually I punishing myself. One of the things I hate about RPGs are. System, games where the enemies level up with you. It's like, what the hell is the point exactly. of level grinding or leveling up if everything levels with me? Exactly. So I was actually shooting myself in the leg. Um, and that is one thing I really like about RPGs. And, well, well, that didn't happen with that one. It reminds me of the Elder Scrolls games, because they did that with... Uh, I, think, I think they did it in Oblivion, but I know they did it in Skyrim. Where everything levels up with you, so it's like, so what is what is the point? Like, I, I I could never stand the idea that I'm getting more powerful, but the enemies are leveling up with me. Mm. Like, if I want to be super overpowered and one shot everything, which you can do in that game anyway, but you know, I want I want things to die in one hit. I don't want them to level with me. Yeah. I hate to say it, but it's this it's lazy game design when you boil it down. It's just easy for them to do that because it takes less planning about you know thinking about all the possibilities what the player can do. I mean, and I guess it's more understandable in a way for an open world game like the Elder Scrolls series, because how do they really truly predict where a player will be at any given yeah. time? Yeah, and there's so no story progression to put the stronger enemies in the next area or anything yeah, like exactly. that. So, so, so wait, I, am, I re am I reading that right then? So, Fitzvogel, you went from Pokemon to Golden Sun 2? That was your RPG mm -hmm. kind of first tastes? Yeah, yeah, huh. that was my first. Golden Sun is a bit different and and I don't know. It's, yeah, but visually, it's it was amazing for the Game Boy Advance at the time. Yeah, yeah. The I battles. started out really well. I'm um, very proud of my mom to have chosen that game. <laughs> Could have been any other Game Boy Advance game. <laughs> have you ever gone back to try the first one at all? Well, I have the first one, and I need to go back to that one. But really I don't remember anything from the second one anyway, so, like, I don't know. 
Golden Sun to me is timeless. Like it's it's the kind of game where despite I don't really care for the the puzzles in that series mm. and the dungeons because that's originally why I stopped playing that game is because I got stuck on some like late game dungeon with a puzzle and mm. I had to come back to it years later and I did finish it. It's one of the few instances where I put down an RPG for like so long and I'm like, you know, I really need to finish Golden Sun. It just didn't feel right leaving it off in the last dungeon. Came back and finished it. Uh, but like for for its time, the first Golden Sun, the music amazing like i never got tired of the battle music in that and the graphics in battle were mind-blowing for the game boy advance the way they shifted this i mean it was all sprite work but it made it look like it was a rotating dynamic camera spinning around it was just uh very dramatic looking very dramatic yeah very (laughs) spectacle and the particle effects oh so good so brunch has brunch just to clarify you just go back you said so first rpg for you was mario rpg as well huh no, it was actually a Breath of Fire on the Super NES. Oh, Breath of Fire. Okay, I was going to say, that didn't yeah. sound right to me. So No, no, no. Yeah, Breath of Fire, and I, I watched my cousins play it while I was staying with them, and it just looked... I, I had never actually ever seen an RPG before, and don't ask me how I survived, you know, whatever I was, uh, eight, ten years old at that time, uh, maybe a little older, and I just never had encountered one. So it, the whole genre was unknown to me. So I'm watching them, and what I liked about it so much was how you dictated the pace of the game. And a lot of games, you know, you kind of have to just go at it as the game kind of sets the pace for you. In that game, you determine how fast you want to go. And that really intrigued me. So that's why I kind of got, got into it. And then I got the game that summer. I literally just played it the entire summer. And it's just, uh, it's a game that I kind of want to stream. But uh, I think one RPG per six months is probably my limit at this point. Huh. So I mean, it seemed, it seemed that grabbed you immediately then, huh? And you were kind of drawn into that style of gameplay. Yeah, and, it, and it's, it's, it's a beautiful game. I mean, as far as the, uh, the we were watching Pete play, uh, what was the name of the game, Pete? I'm sorry, I missed, missed it last night. No, I don't, I don't blame you. <laughs> it's it's the magical <laughs> land of Waz. There you go. Uh, yeah, we were talking about uh, the animations during of the uh, the attacks. And this, uh, Breath of Fire has such awesome animations and uh, sound effects. For Very reminiscent of that, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's absolutely, it, that's what really grabbed me initially, was just how interactive it seemed, even though it was pretty much like you just got to make a decision, one decision. <clears throat> and it seemed like you were doing a lot based on the reaction to the game. I mean, that's that's a thing that I wanted to bring up, too, because we all stream, and it's sort of a dilemma that we all face, and it's like, despite loving RPGs, streaming RPGs is another story, because we all have the mindset of our viewers in mind, and you have to think for, first of all, there's multiple things you have to take into consideration. Some people just do not like RPGs. Some people also do not like turn-based RPGs. Uh, and also, the problem is, even if someone likes an RPG, and if they miss a single stream, or heck, even an hour or two of a stream of an RPG, they may be lost in terms of the story or where you're at, uh, especially if you're narrating through. So it's, And streaming an RPG is a huge commitment, because not only are we playing the game, but we're keeping up with the chat. So in Brunch's case, like when he's playing Final Fantasy VII, that is a many month long project probably for him you know if he decides to commit to finishing that game on stream so it's it's really difficult as much as i love the genre it's it's harder and harder for me to from start to finish stream an rpg it's just not feasible because i always like to mix it up i don't want to just stream an rpg for a week straight i mean there's but I there's gotta two main things online. right that get in the way as streamers thinking about uh streaming or playing an rpg one obviously <coughs> spoilers right that's like the first thing. Second is, you know, do you read out all the dialogue of the RPG as well? So, I mean, Brunch, you can probably talk about both of those things as you're going through Final Fantasy VII. Because the one thing I've noticed in watching anybody stream RPGs, whether it's you guys or 
other streamers. I just can't stand the idea, no matter how many times you've labeled it all over your stream, title, no spoilers, no spoilers, people just can't shut up about coming in and spoiling things. Uh, just... That's the worst part about playing a game blind. It's like it's almost unavoidable, and like you might as well not even put blind in your title. <laughs> but even more because so, that'll draw about, the. Think yeah. about for RPGs, what a huge thing that is. I mean, yeah, you want to spoil an upcoming, you know, level in an action platformer, like oh, be careful about this or whatever. But you talk about someone stealing, coming in, ruining an experience that you've been building up ten hours for potentially, and then you know if they say one thing, you read one line. You're going to be just the next five hours of your game can just be completely ruined. You know, well, that's why when Brunch was streaming seven, I asked him, are you 100 percent blind on this? And he's like, yes. And I'm like, listen, you got to be real careful because, you know, people that have played seven, you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. All it takes is one bad egg. Two words, you know? Yep, exactly. And it, it takes a lot out of me to just shut up and just let Brunch enjoy his you know blind playthrough but it's like man i can't wait till this part and oh just dude, even this that part even if up. someone were to say oh man it's coming up like something big yeah like, exactly <sighs> i hate well, that it's funny you guys said that because that's what i've been getting and i'm also i'm almost wondering is it maybe a bad idea for me to play this game and i at this point i'm kind of I, i'm committed to the point where i've i've decided i want to play through this because everyone's hyped it up so much but how amazing it is and i've heard this of course but now that i'm getting it in my face while i'm playing it's like okay now i'm really excited and <laughs> I, I i've actually had to tell chats like guys I know you're excited. I, I I can tell something's happening. Please tone it down because no, I feel it like doesn't matter, you guys are right, building French? up to the point where I'm. I, I feel like I'm not gonna. I feel like I'm gonna be disappointed. Even even if someone uh, says, "Oh, my favorite part of the game is coming up," then I, you have yeah, instilled in your mind that something big is about to happen. And yeah. you know what? I could almost say 100% brunch. Someone's gonna spoil it for That's you. That's why I told brunch. 100%. They will spoil it, even if they. Because here's the thing: not a lot of people, like it's rare to find somebody 100% blind on seven. They're gonna assume you know something about that game or some assholes exactly. gonna come in and say oh like it's gonna be spoiled so it's literally, spoiling it for I, right now I literally it. almost spoiled something big too literally so it's like it could be accidental i had to catch myself but, see that's the something. thing Mitchell, you're even aware and cognizant of it i'm talking about just like your average streamer coming in who could be you know probably is a fan probably has played through mm -hmm. it maybe has read about it has seen a playthrough it's just such a bad idea Personally, I think because I started out streaming and one of my main goals was actually to go back and play a bunch of RPGs that I missed during these gaps in my gameplay growing oh, up. Oh, I can remember the RPG list building days. Of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, like, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But what I mean to say is that I just feel it's a bad idea all the way around because one, you're basically saying I want to go through this experience of this rich, deep gameplay with storyline, character building, many, many hours of grinding. All of that, right off the bat, to me, sounds bad for a stream audience to watch all that. I mean, even if the, it's because you're going to get two types. You're going to get, like you said, Pete, people who don't even like RPGs, so they won't tune in. Or you'll get huge fans of the games that can't contain themselves, and it's just going to taint the experience as the streamer to play through an RPG for the first time. I have a solution. <laughs> don't do a blind casual playthrough. Just jump straight into the speed run, and you can play the game. <laughs> Pete, your idea. Go sit in the corner. Your idea is bad. <laughs> well, Bowman, speaking of the RPGs, though, I mean, surely you had to start somewhere. Well, I was about to say. Here, here comes Bowman. He's like, I started with adventure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm ready, ready for it. 20 years old. All you damn babies out here. I <laughs> elder must speak. Let's go. Yeah, everyone, everyone pull up a chair, light your pipe, and let's get the Some kind of DOS place. game. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Tell no, us about the installation honestly, It was so curious. You know, I was thinking about 
the four of you guys and talking about your your first RPG experiences and and nothing is the the oldest one was the Super Nintendo one Breath of Fire right well I guess uh, Pokemon to a lesser extent but for me I mean growing up uh, the first taste of an RPG that I had and it was a really big deal at that time because it was on the NES and it was the very first RPG that came out on the US side and it was Dragon Warrior more you know commonly known as Dragon Quest but and it was mm-hmm. so funny because. It wasn't even something where, like, I knew, I remember reading Nintendo Power, having my NES and, you know, playing through all the action platformer shooter games. And in Nintendo Power, they would start highlighting this game, Dragon Warrior, because it was a huge deal in Japan when it came out. Like, when it came out and it hit on the Famicom, it took the country by storm. Japan, I mean. Like, it just still overtook. takes that country by yeah, storm. Yeah, exactly. Like, when Dragon Quest, uh, when Dragon Quest Eleven comes out, like the, the world pretty much stops in Japan. It's yeah, like they might holiday. as well have a holiday for it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they actually do. I remember reading somewhere when a new Dragon Quest game comes out, it's pra- it practically is a holiday. Like some workplaces yeah, will they shut down. give their company the schools, a day off. The schools will so get a day off for the kids to go get it and play it. It's crazy. So I remember Nintendo Power. They were really hyping it up and they were talking about this game and showing screenshots. And all you saw were like these blocky graphics and text boxes full of Japanese text. You're like, what kind of game is that? Because it looked really different. It looked really odd. It just looked like you were at a menu screen in a game. And, you know, the game came out in Japan. It was a huge hit. And again, they and it was a three-year gap between when it came out in Japan versus Dragon Warrior in the U.S. Because they obviously had to translate it, you know, Americanize it West, for, for Western audiences. But the hype and the buildup for that game and Nintendo Power leading up to it, it got me drawn into wanting to play that game. But just because they were hyping it so much and it just felt and looked like it was going to be a completely type of game experience, not even knowing exactly what it was going to be. And I remember picking up Dragon Warrior. I bought it, you know, at Kmart, brought it home. And the, <laughs> the game itself, it came with a very cool strategy guide. It wasn't a complete strategy guide. It was more like a walkthrough slash strategy guide because they knew they wanted to you know, kind of help out the kids that were buying this type of game, new gameplay experience altogether for many, many kids. And I think the guide did a really good job in terms of acting as a supplement to the gameplay experience. And to me, I've always equated playing an RPG with some type of reference material, book, guide, hint book, whatever it was. Uh, you're one of those kind of people. <laughs> well, well, I mean, well, here's the <laughs> So I'm not going to say that. I mean, I don't sit there and play RPGs and use a guide. I definitely learned to use them as a supplement. Like, because one of the things they had in there, they had these charts with like the weapons and the values and the armor and the magic. So it wasn't so much. And I think they did a really good job of setting up those guides to not reveal story elements, which I think is, you know, they deserve a lot of credit for because there were more companion guides. It's not like you could sit there and read the hint book for Dragon Warrior and find out what happens in the storyline. There was more about helping you out when they knew things were going to get rough, right? And not revealing any story points. So I think that whole experience of Dragon Warrior on the NES, I mean, that definitely was my first real RPG that I played, and it definitely got me into that world of playing that genre of games. right? And, and from there on the NES, it's like, the one thing I did after playing Dragon Warrior, because the other thing, the other good thing was that even though the game itself came with this guidebook and this, you know, fold out with weapons, it was the first um, strategy guide that Nintendo officially released alongside their Nintendo Power line. And it was a dedicated, you know, guide that they mailed out if you were a subscriber to Nintendo Power. And it was this huge hundred page book that detailed everything about the game. Now that one was a little spoilery, I have to say, but one of the things I loved was as I was playing through that game, I was able to 
kind of teach myself how to not spoil things. Like, don't jump to the end of the guide. Don't read it all the way through. Just read it up to where you're at. It's like if you, you had to be super careful, like put a bookmark in there because if you flip to the wrong page, you're in trouble. No, and that was exactly what it was, Pete. It's like I, I had to really like train myself. Just don't jump to the end. You don't want to know. Like I, I was telling myself, don't, don't ruse, don't spoil it for yourself. So I think I did. It did a really good job in terms of teaching me that whole process of you know using guides to kind of help supplement the game experience but not ruin anything and it was a really good like first training wheel set i think for that kind of game but it was definitely dragon warrior for me and then from there i did my best to hunt down other rpg games on the nintendo and that would be like ultima was uh the port of ultima on the nes was one that i really wanted my hands on but i could not find it there was there was very few copies of the game like around that time and whenever i did run into it it had that ten dollar premium attached to it so it made it a little tougher to try to get my hands on RPGs at that time. But definitely, it started out with Dragon Warrior. And, you know, from there on the NES, moving over to the Super Nintendo, playing Final Fantasy 2 II and 3. Or the Genesis was actually before that because I moved on to the Genesis. And Fantasy Star 2, 3, and 4 grabbed my attention. But definitely See, I feel out. I feel like I missed out on RPGs as well, too, because hmm. the Genesis lacked RPGs so much. And because I was playing... Uh, the Genesis so much it was like harder to actually find them because but that was the oh, weird thing Pete for being Genesis kid I don't understand how you were able to like skip a lot of well here's the thing though <laughs> sort of a million a lot seriously. of it was based on what my grandfather had because when oh, I was really that's young right. that's right I would that's go over his house and I would play games and he had RPGs but he had games like Sorcerer's Kingdom which kicks your freaking ass <laughs> in the first five minutes like yeah. no I'm like what are, I don't I didn't understand what was happening in that game because it's so freaking difficult that's why it meant so much to me to go back to that game not long ago and beat it from beginning to end uh, to see what I was, you know. That truly, like, my true, true answer is my first RPG ever would have been <laughs> games like Sorcerer's <laughs> Kingdom and back Exile track, and Ease 3 on the Genesis because he had all those games, but it was hard for my young mind to kind of grasp, like, all the stats and the equipment, and it was just a little too hard for me. Um, but he never had Fantasy Star, so, you know, there's <sighs> there goes that. Can you imagine uh, what a fantasy star kid you would have been if that would have been one of your first experiences? My God. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you, if I had a, a master system and I had fantasy star one, uh, you know, once again, it probably would have been a little hard depending on how old I was. Exactly. You got to admit, if you're like six, seven years old, eight years old, playing a game like that, it was hard enough playing fantasy star one or two these days with how cryptic that, that series can be. Uh, so I couldn't imagine making much progress. You know, not everybody is a Johnny Millennium that's playing that game in his yeah. crib, you know? So. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. That hint book that they packaged with Fantasy Star 2, just to go... I mean, if you want to talk about one, Sega didn't hold anything back in terms of spoiling. Like, if you had bought that and unwrapped the Fantasy Star 2 hint book and flipped to the back, you immediately saw the last boss. <laughs> I was like, please don't do that. So the- Yeah, that's why when I played Fantasy Star 2, I chose never to use that hint book because it was just filled with that spoilers one was on every page. Yeah. Very well-made hint book, though. Oh, yeah. Companion guide slash hint book guide. It was one of the best ones. I used to buy guides for all RPGs that I was playing. You know, PS1, PS2, N64, around that time. Uh, I'd, I'd buy a guide for any RPG that had a guide made for it. But it was more as, like you said, a companion. I wouldn't use it like page by page. But let's just say, for example, if I was playing Final Fantasy twelve or something... Um, you know, I would bookmark certain things like stat pages uh, to refer to for weapons, making sure I wasn't missing like a ultimate weapon or something around the corner. Or uh, if I was 
going through an area normally, and by the time I reached the end of that area, I'd skim through the book to make sure I didn't miss anything major, like stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Go up like a backtracking guide to say, oh, what did I miss right after I passed it? That's what I would use them for a lot, too. Right. And like when I was playing Nino Kuni, which was one of the last RPGs that I ever really bought a guide and used extensively for, it was just because I was going for 100% in that game, which ultimately I never did because it just got to be too much. But, you know, the guide was essential for making sure I was getting everything. I mean, yeah, on the NES, sorry, just to go back one more time, I can't even believe I missed it, but obviously within the life cycle of the NES RPGs that I was trying to get my hands on, because you ended up kind of moving on to other games that you thought would be turn-based RPGs, but they ended up being more action RPGs, like Battle of Olympus or even Legacy of the Wizard, like those kind of games, they kind of toe that line between action RPG and straight up turn-based RPG. And since I was so much in love with dragon warrior and then later on of course when final fantasy came they that was an even bigger deal like if you thought dragon warrior nes release was a big deal the amount of marketing dollars and press and nintendo power coverage they had for final fantasy just blew that out of the water at least on the u.s side i can't remember how well final fantasy played in japan on the nes the first time i'd actually be curious to go back and see if the impact was as good as dragon warrior but on the on the in the u.s side final fantasy to me that was like just the it was a quantum leap over Dragon Warrior One, and I had played Dragon Warrior Two even at that point. So, it kind of introduced you. What to do you What do you more. attribute that to more? Though, was it just the fact that maybe the the multiple party members? Was it the quest like story itself? What What made Final Fantasy such a big leap for you? I think that it was definitely the four party members and trying to manage like the skills and equipment for everyone in a in a. It was basically you know the Dragon War experience times four essentially. Like you just had to pay attention to so much more that was going on but i thought to me the music was a really big thing for nes style game to have that amount of good music that was happening in that game it was just like i said it was just, it just felt like such a huge leap that made me just spit on dragon warrior games at that point i'm like it's all about final fantasy final fantasy now so i need to you know hitch my wagon to this franchise <laughs> but yeah it was just it was an extension of everything that dragon war was and then you know pumped up to the nth degree and that made me fall in love with rpgs turn-based rpgs specifically even more so with that and made me hunt down you know games of that type and that's why my love kind of switched over when i had my genesis and super nintendo to just kind of really gravitate and search out those games that had that same mechanic music style see i think rpgs as a genre when it comes to music that is the genre that benefits the most from good music Mm because you strip music or put in shitty music in a oh, turn-based yeah. RPG, guess what? <laughs> it's not the same game. Like it, yeah. it's it's startling how much music can influence an RPG. Like just to use Golden Sun as another example. Like that game to me, half of the reason why I loved it so much is because the battle theme was timeless to me. You know, take a game like uh, even something more new that more people maybe can relate to, like the Persona games lately, like Persona Four and Five. Take out the amazing soundtrack of those games. And, you know, while it would still be a great game, I feel like it's half of that game's personality is just how important the music is to the overall experience. Well, and not I, I just, just music. That, not just music, so, right? Like, think specifically battle music. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, the battle music. That's why when, when I go into an RPG, sometimes I will buy it based solely on the battle music, and that's no joke. If, if an RPG has shitty battle music, I won't even play it. Like, I'm never going to play Robotrek on the Super Nintendo because it has one of the worst battle songs in the history of RPGs. So, but I will buy an RPG if it has amazing music. Like, the Dark Spire, which I always say is one of my favorite RPGs ever on the DS. Uh, 
the half the reason why I love that game so much is because the soundtrack is just so epic. But Take away the music, a, it's not the same. That game is such a dungeon crawler, though, isn't it, though, Pete? Like, in terms of... Oh, I mean, it's straight up. Yeah, it's it's not a good... It's not a good the, streaming game. Yeah, because <laughs> one of the weird things was, at that time, when I wanted to get my hands on as many RPGs as possible, I had my Amiga, you know, around the time that I had my Super Nintendo Genesis. And once I started diving into the world of, like, PC RPGs, apparently, like, you know, I'd realized that, oh, my God, these have been a big deal forever in the world of PCs because of the you know, extra processing power and, you know, memory requirements and computers. So they were able to build like these huge, uh, huge RPG worlds and adventures. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. I can get into, you know, RPGs on the PC. So the weird thing was, is that when I went into the PC realm to look for these RPGs, almost everything was a dungeon crawler. And I don't know what it is about like the, my experience with the early RPGs I had with Dragon Warrior and Final Fantasy, but for whatever reason, when I went into that, like, because I think I picked up Eye of the Beholder on the Amiga. And that was a straight up hardcore dungeon crawling RPG. And I don't know, I was so turned off by it. I, I couldn't even figure out why, because it just didn't feel like the simple turn-based, you know, Japanese style RPG games that I experienced on the NES. It's kind of a weird thing. And I don't know if anyone else had that experience in terms of jumping into different genres of RPGs. Because once you start diving into it, it gets to be quite a jarring experience. Do you think that's due to the restrictions of the home console market at that time, Bovine? Do I don't know what it better? was, but it just seems like, I guess, and I, you know, you read about the history after the fact, and it just seems like a lot of PC RPG players, like hardcore D&D people, like they look down on these type of turn-based RPGs. They find them, you know, simple or basic or not very expansive. So maybe part of it was, is that they just had to develop a more cut down experience of what was a traditional D&D style RPG game. I'm not sure. Interesting. Well, I think there's RPG snobs out there, just like with every genre. Um, like, you know, I'll say, you know, oh, I really enjoyed Paper Mario. And we'll say, oh, is that even an RPG? Or, you know, they'll say, oh, you prefer action RPGs over turn-based? Well, turn-based RPGs are the more authentic experience if you want to play an RPG. So Yeah, yeah and then someone would argue who grew up on Ultima, right, on the PCs, they would argue that that's like the furthest thing away from what a true RPG game yeah. should be. <laughs> yeah, and and so. I don't know where to stand on that, honestly, because I mean, I feel like where I grew up and where my affinity lies was in traditional JRPG, you know, turn-based ones. So it's kind of like where I base my you know, preferences and opinions on. And then as I try to expand out when I experience different games, like I just tried out like Etrian Odyssey for the first time, like last year on stream. And like, to me, it just feels like they're so, I don't know how to even put it in words in terms of explain why I feel it's just a different experience. Like it just feels like I'm constricted in one area and everything looks the same. It's by the, it's, it's a game that's mm. meant for a certain mentality. Like if you go into Etrian Odyssey and you're not the type of person that likes seeing numbers get bigger, Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be dead set on spending dozens of hours simply because you enjoy seeing a character start at level one and end up at level 20 or 30 and get new abilities. It's more of a game where it's the challenge of customization. That's what Etrian Odyssey is. It's make a party. Can this party carry you through to the end of the game? Because here's the thing about Etrian Odyssey that makes it so compelling to me is unlike a lot of other video games where no matter how much hard work you put in, you will always reach the end. Whereas Etrian Odyssey, if you screw up your party combination or if you screw up 
placing an ability point or the way that you mm-hmm. level up or customize a character, that game can become unfinishable. Yeah. Maybe it's just more punishing then? Because the be funny 20 thing is, hours in and yeah, I mean, to restart. You're talking about the, how Etrian Odyssey is. Like, I really love that part about Dragon Warrior Final Fantasy. Like, oh, I grinded for two hours to gain 100 experience points, and now my sword, same sword, does one plus one damage. Like, well, I actually well, did love that here's whole numbers the thing, crunching though, thing. With Dragon Warrior, like, for example, the grind pays off for you in that, and you will make progress. Whereas mm-hmm. in Etrian Odyssey, you can grind, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be able to make progress, because you might run across mm. a boss that requires a certain party member. Like, for example, in later Etrian Odysseys, you know, you have characters that can bind body parts. Like, you might run against a boss that uses its head for casting spells, and if you don't have the proper character class to prevent it from using certain spells, you're going to get wrecked. Oh. Ah. And you I won't guess, be able to progress. I guess with Dragon Dragon Warrior and Final Fantasy, like, they were very linear progression-style RPGs, I guess, where everything kind of made sense as you just put time into it and grind it up and, you know, spent your money on updated weapons armor experience or uh, magic spells so then things kind of just logically progress so that sounds like to me that you Odyssey just i don't know it's more of like a puzzle rpg where you have to figure out the right combination of things to proceed uh it's more about trying to test your ability to make a party that can bring you to the end of the game mm. like for example dark spire is similar enough where uh the game doesn't hold your hand i had the um I was fortunate enough to be able to play that game upon release, which I say fortunate because it was a it was a crazy time playing through Dark Spire, which for those that don't know is just a very, very archaic, very by the books, um, like old school dungeon crawler where the only thing you do in that game is just go through huge dungeon floors, mapping out the dungeon uh, bit by bit. And I played through that on release and there were no guides. So I was on game facts with people like trying to figure out how we were like, okay, how do you unlock the advanced classes? Cause nobody freaking knew. So it was quite the experience trying to figure that game out with people. And you know, it was the kind of game where you walk into the first floor of the dungeon and the first battle you get into, you get party wiped by destroyed. a bunch of rats and bats, <laughs> like absolutely destroyed because your HP on your party members was like seven and they do 10 damage per attack in some cases. So it was just like, this brutal game that set you up right away for what you were getting into, but it was so gratifying beating that game, even though the ending was trash. Uh, just so rewarding to make it to the ends when the game first came out, because it was just, there was no information. It was the kind of game where you'd walk into a tiled room of like, I don't know, 12 squares, and if you didn't walk onto a specific tile that was blank on your game screen, but you had to like step on it to trigger an NPC, you were out of luck in some cases. <laughs> like you, you had to cover every inch of that game. I mean, it sounds like my RPG experience has been very slow, gradual kind of a thing. Whereas yours was like this very jagged. Oh, I I jumped into RPGs and you know, Sorcerer's Kingdom was the first thing. It spikes up, and then you jump into Dark Spire, and you're getting like the the hardcore of the hardcore RPG experience. I mean, did anyone else like when you talk about your RPG experiences? Foots, much, uh, brunch, meach, like. Did you feel like you ran into this jagged like curve, or did you have a gradual curve of learning RPG games? Or, as some of you may know, um, happy console gamer. He's like got this crazy affinity for Fantasy Star, and the way he talks about it just makes it seem like the greatest RPG of all time. And so I went out and got a copy of it. Was excited to sit down and play it. Little did I know you had to get out grid paper, map out your dungeons, and like. <laughs> actually think about what you were doing so you don't have so you couldn't like get lost and stuff like that i'm like you know 
I don't know if I'm this hardcore of an RPG lover. I, mm. I, I really would love to understand the experience and why, you know, him and others love this game so much. It's but almost like a mindset. I just, I'm not hardcore enough. I, I just, I, I like looked at the grid paper that I have. I'm like, I, you know, I'm not loving what I'm doing. I, I'm just going to walk away from it. I didn't know you had played Fantasy Star 1, honestly. I so tried. It's cool to hear I about. tried <laughs> That game is hardcore. Like it when is. I played that for the first time, like what, two years ago, uh, streaming it, mapping it out with a grid program. I loved the feeling like mapping out a full dungeon from start to finish, making mistakes, having to correct your mistakes. And then getting to the end of a dungeon and knowing that you got there without any help and it was like all your your hard work of mapping like it's just so gratifying to me um and getting lost in that game it is so easy to make a single wrong turn and end up in a dungeon that you're not supposed to be in there was there were times where i'd go to the wrong dungeon and i didn't know it and i'd make it through and then find out afterwards that like i had done something i wasn't supposed supposed to to do until (laughs) hours later i'm like oh that's kind of cool. And I think that those games that I was talking about, they just, it was very hard to play out of turn. I, you know what I mean? There wasn't many ways to make huge mistakes in Dragon Warrior, Final Fantasy, even Final Fantasy 4 and 6 later on in Super Nintendo. They were still linear enough that I think that progression made it a very fun, entertaining storyline-based experience versus some of these other RPGs that just seem like very random, more open-world ones that you can just totally get demolished in if you're just deciding to venture out at the wrong times or your party's not strong enough so uh, it just caters to different mindsets like people play rpgs for different reasons so Mm. you know to go back to the dungeon crawler series where it's all about just grinding stats and levels those games are made for people that don't really care about story per se they just care about the feeling of making a team and leveling up that team to the point where you can make it through the game are those rpgs classified a different way like the ones you just explained like the ones that sort of i would just call them dungeon crawlers like it's there's a lot of them coming out these days on handheld like the 3ds and the the vita still to some extent in the switch um you know i used to really love when games like that came out because there weren't many of them coming to the u.s they were always very prevalent in japan but then it just started getting oversaturated and i can only handle so many of those games at once because they're very demanding time-wise the endless grind. I mean, we haven't even gotten to the the roguelike genre, which is something. <laughs> oh, I thought we were already talking everybody. about it with roguelike. <laughs> so you're not saying roguelikes are those dungeon crawling non-story ones, then, huh? It's different. Um, I mean, roguelike now is tossed around so loosely by people. But back on home console, like I'm not going to get into the history of the PC roguelikes with Rogue and all that, because uh, that goes that gets really deep. But when it comes to console roguelikes, people started getting their first taste. For most people, it was like with Chocobo's Dungeon on the PS1 um, or, say, on the DS when Shiren the Wanderer came out in the US. Uh, it was a, it was a very slow going for that genre until games like when Demon Souls came out on PS3. That's when you saw a resurgence of the roguelike genre, especially on PC for like indie titles. Roguelike pretty much defined as, you know, you die, you lose your progress, you lose your weapons, your armor, whatever case there may be. There's different levels of roguelike in terms of intensity. And anybody that's never played a roguelike before, I'd highly recommend it. Um, it might sound intimidating, like, oh, you die and you lose all your progress, but that's that's what makes it so fun. Imagine playing, like I always equated it to, imagine playing uh, like Mario with a single life and trying to beat Mario Brothers 3 or something without dying a single time. 
you know, it's sort of that same feeling, just in a different genre of trying to make through a game without so as, making a mistake. As hardcore as that experience sounds, then for like a like a current roguelike, like what would be one that you would suggest for someone who's never experienced that type of RPG mm-hmm. to jump into? To you know, even though they are hardcore, try to think of one that doesn't completely kick your ass right off the bat. Maybe uh, the Binding of Isaac. Yeah, probably be really? a good one. See, I, I see haven't played Binding game. of Isaac, but it's. It's different. It's not an RPG. I don't feel like it's an RPG at all, right? But it has that. It has has that feeling. Yeah, Yeah. that's why it's so hard because roguelike is just like for me. It's almost like I would want to have someone. Like I would ask you guys recommend to me a turn-based JRPG style RPG with roguelike, you know, rules. I guess is what it comes down to. Like, what would you? I think the best, most approachable one for someone that's new to the genre is on the Wii. Final Fantasy Fables Chocobo's Dungeon. Because the punishment for death is not that punishing. Um, it's not like you're leveling down or anything like that. It's it's not as punishing as other roguelikes where it's like game over, start from the beginning. Um, it's also an amazing fan service game for anybody that's a fan of Final Fantasy in terms of music hmm. uh, and, and setting and characters. Just an amazing fan service game. Uh, that would probably be the first one I recommend. I mean brunch foots like what are you guys thoughts on this because my mind starts to jump a little bit when because i think i know about rpgs and then when you talk about it you talk to other pe- people that love rpgs and you just end up running into so many different subgenres of the games that i feel like i have very little experience and i mean, you guys get that same feel or are you guys all about all over it foots maybe you are or brunch yeah. um as for myself i'm pretty vanilla um, I haven't played too many RPGs and I haven't dived into other genres yet. Um, dungeon crawlers, I tried a little bit, but I, I'm having still a hard time getting into them because I like playing RPGs that are story heavy. Uh, they don't have to be that good. Like Final Fantasy, sometimes I have the impression that like the older ones i feel like that it's always like the same story in some way save the um, princess save the castle save the kingdom yeah <laughs> get all the crystals and hmm. see i have a, i have a big recommendation for you fitzvolgo because i know you've been getting in the pc a lot lately and this is an amazing pc dungeon crawler i don't know if you ever heard of legend of grimrock no okay no. you need to check this one out it's a great and this goes for anybody that's thinking about getting into a dungeon crawler like Aya the Beholder style. Um, first person, you know, every time you take a step, an enemy takes a step kind of thing. But Legend of Grimrock, when I first played that on the PC, was such an amazing experience. You get, you craft a party of four to bring with you into this dungeon. Very dark, very brooding. But it's one of those games where you're really rewarded for examining the environment. So you have to keep a very keen eye. So as you're going through this dungeon uh, step by step, you might notice a little thing out of the corner of your eye, like a little piece of rock or pebble in the wall that maybe looks a little out of place or a different color. And then you push that little button and it opens up this secret passage and you find like some crazy powerful armor or crazy powerful weapon. And it's just that sense of getting rewarded for paying attention to the environment was just amazing to me. And it, looks it like is a reboot. It looks like a yeah. reboot of those old school, like like you were saying, Eye of the Beholder, right. Dungeon Explorer kind of art. And that was, right, and that's the first game, because prior to Legend of Grimrock, I had never really truly given that genre a try. So it was sort of a nice modern way to introduce me into that dungeon crawler, Eye of the Beholder style of RPG. 
but if you're the type of person that likes to meticulously take your time as you're playing a game and get rewarded for looking around your environment, the sense of getting new armor in a hidden passageway in a game like that is just amazing. And the strategy behind fighting and taking down a hard enemy without ever getting a scratch on you, um, just such a great and it's so cheap too like i'm sure that's the kind of game that goes on sale on steam all the time for like a buck and there was a sequel too if you liked it it's also on freaking mobile these days it's on ipad you can play it on a tablet <laughs> uh, so i highly recommend that one mm, some, sounds amazing actually and that is another thing with this entire like genre if you're a beginner where do you start? And if you start with some random game, maybe you start with a bad game and you have this bad experience and you just stop playing this genre just because. Uh, and yeah, it's it's very intimidating, I think, for beginners. Where do you start? <laughs> I think it's also um, tough, though. Like, for example, I tell people, go back and check those original RPGs, Dragon Quest, Final Fantasy 1. Pete is completely against that in this day yeah. and age to recommend yeah. it. <laughs> I think if you're new to RPGs, one of the worst decisions you can make is play, like, one of the original Final Come Fantasy on. 1 Why or 2. Why is that, though, Pete? Why are you so strongly opinionated on that part? <laughs> because I get the historical importance of them, but I think if you're trying to introduce somebody to an RPG. Hell, it's hard for people that love RPGs today to go back and play a game like Dragon Warrior or Final Fantasy if you didn't grow up with those and have nostalgic memories about them. It's just they're so, they're important for their time. But there's so many modern conveniences these days that I feel would help ease people. Like, I would recommend Super Mario RPG any day of the week before Final Fantasy 1 if you've never played an RPG before. For sure. It's just that I, I strong I just strongly believe that if if you are truly giving me a person that has never played a turn based RPG before, giving them a game that is just because of the historical context on its significance, I mean its importance in the timeline of video games like Final Fantasy One or Dragon Warrior. That's one of the worst things you can do. But they'll get to love to appreciate all the you know <laughs> they'll be turned conveniences off. of modern RPGs now. <laughs> no, 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 no. They'll they'll be turned off. I mean, <laughs> I could be thinking. I, I would love to hear from somebody that in 2018 has never played an RPG, and they make Final Fantasy one or Dragon Warrior one their first RPG. Maybe they love it, but in most cases, I feel like it's best not to turn See, them off. But you said you you keyed off on it. Someone who's never played any RPG, they won't have anything to compare against, right? Like for example, Go yeah, Fox. but they have modern <laughs> games to compare them against. Exactly. Like they've if they played, played other them. genres. Yeah. Uh, okay. RPGs, I feel, have just aged the worst out of all genres because of just how slow some of them can be i mean some of the battles take forever finding your way around those games can take forever i don't know i just don't think it's hell at least play final fantasy 3 or something before you play <laughs> final fantasy 1 at least you'll have a story to carry you through you heard it here, folks. Pete Doors recommending Final Fantasy VI as a beginner, you know, newbie RPG to get you. Into well, if you're <laughs> instead of like an archaic NES RPG, sure. He's he's killing my child. Oh, fine. That's the same as telling somebody to play like Wizardry One as their first. No, RPG. Oh, okay. come on. <laughs> that, but like I said, Wizardry belongs in that hardcore dungeon crawling genre that I just can't get into. Right, so I would never recommend that. I don't know. I just don't agree with it. 
I mean, there's different ways to go about it, but I, I think if you want to get someone into it, you need to give them something with a lighthearted, approachable, well, not, maybe not lighthearted, but an approachable story to kind of get them gripped in, a battle system that doesn't take eons to get through, just something a bit more fluffy and modernized, yeah. accessible, yeah. Maybe well, something about, like Paper Mario. Yeah, that's a great it's one. so good. Even I think, with Paper Mario, like, one of the things I was going to talk about was, like, these, like, so here's my thing, was, like, I went through a period of time where I was playing nothing but JRPGs and suddenly you would see a game like Super Mario RPG that would introduce, you know, button timing elements as part of it. So you're kind of adding like an action game tilt to your RPGs. And then later on, of course, when they went full on action RPG where you actually have full control, it's no longer turn based, you're running around, you might as well be in a platforming or 3D game. Like, what do you guys, what do you guys feel about those advancements i guess is what you can call them in those traditional rpg genres like to me rpgs in my mind died when turn-based was starting to turn into action-based i don't know if anyone else feels that way but that's like my personal view on it like i tend to not treat those games the same way as those original turn-based games that i played growing up i think it's two different genres it's really hard for me to compare a turn-based rpg to an action rpg I kind of hold them separately. That's yeah, like yeah, comparing yeah. the Tales of games to a Final Fantasy game or older Final Fantasy game. Uh, you just can't really do it. Yeah, it's way different. Definitely. Some people are obsessed with calling those better versions of RPGs, though, and it just it bugs me whenever I hear that. It depends what you're looking for. Like, I don't get upset when I hear somebody say that they don't like turn-based RPGs because I understand. Like, not everybody wants to sit around in a battle that takes eons in this current day and age but sometimes i want to just sit down with a nice strategic you know turn-based rpg like that's why i'm hoping that octopath traveler which hopefully i'll be starting tonight or tomorrow will uh will get me back into well not get me back into but it's been a while since i played a nice new turn-based rpg you could just go back and finish fantasy star 2 pete oh (laughs) one of these years one of these years (laughs) oh vine come on how do you not leave how do you leave that game in the middle i can't understand that it's such an engaging story what about what about Rhapsody? Wait, shh. Okay. That was just hey, trying hey. out RPGs. Okay? <laughs> yeah, let, let Bovine leave off his baby RPG. That no, I mean, here's the thing. Good. I mean, like I said, it, because I had such huge gaps, like, you know, from my RPG playing experience, like one of those things that I wanted to do when I first started streaming was I wanted to, funny enough, my first stream idea was to just sit and play through, take the time to sit around and talk to people as I played through all these RPGs that I missed out on. Right as I grew up, and there's so many in the late SNES era, early PS1 era. You know, those were the games that I was kind of targeting. Like all these series, like Sukaden, Alundra, Wild Arms. You know, with Chrono Cross, the Mana, Breath of Fire, J Cocoon. Like I wanted to take the time to play all these, and then you know, kind of going back to this whole stream conundrum of how do you address it? Like I don't even feel. I watch brunch. I watch the other guys. I watch Goji play RPGs all the time, and people are coming in ruining. The, I, don't feel like I even want to try that now. And well, the I'm, issue I find too is because, like, you keep mentioning Goji and he's playing through Grandia. I've never played Grandia, mm-hmm. and I always feel like if I click and join his stream, I'm going to be joining while like a character's dying or like yes. the final boss. I always have that fear of getting spoiled, so it's like, well, can't watch Goji Fox until he's done streaming Grandia, and that takes like 70 hours. So it's like it kind of locks you out of some people's streams, yeah. and that's what happened to me with uh, Fantasy Star 2 as well. Is like. I didn't want to do nothing but stream Fantasy Star 2. And that's a long game, and it's difficult to play blinds, let me tell you. So it's like, anytime I'd put it down, it's like, oh, man, like, where did I leave off again? It's it's really hard to it's sit hard down to review, and, yeah. and finish these games because 
after you put them down for a few days, it's it's sometimes hard to come back. It's not like I don't love the game. It's just that I'm not the kind of streamer that wants to just focus on one RPG for weeks straight, you know. But then jumping through multiple RPGs, much worse idea too. By the way, <laughs> I don't these days. I don't mind sampling RPGs. Like I'll sit down and I'll play an RPG for just one stream and if it doesn't dig its claws into me it's like okay i'm fine with moving on at least i can say i've tried this to have an idea of what it's like and i've done that a lot over the past couple years just to kind of feel an rpg out it's very hard though because you always start out with like the explaining part the tutorial exactly (laughs) like to get into the real game it's takes a long time and it's not the most interesting thing to watch or stream Mm. because it's like i'm not the kind of person that wants to narrate every little thing something i've been starting to do now and maybe some people want to like maybe take this idea or page from my book is instead of reading everything line for line i will read what the characters say and then i'll paraphrase it so like if they say okay we want to we need to blah 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 do kill the dark lord blah 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 i'll just like summarize and be like all right they're off to kill the freaking (laughs) The villain you know like yeah i'll just kind of like paraphrase what the characters that's are actually saying. a good it's idea because yeah. reading all the text is just not the, not oh, the right. coming from the the mr reader himself no but that's it i mean if i were to play an rpg on my own i'm sitting there reading everything you know obviously in my head or but you know in a, in a stream environment to pay attention to chat plus read like because if you don't read the text then it feels like everyone then it just, just feels like you're sitting there watching it. yeah that makes no sense like brunch when you play seven maybe try this approach where instead of reading everything that the characters say just read what read a couple of lines like in silence that's fine and then kind of be like oh boy it looks like let's just say they're like all right let's go take down uh, this Mako reactor and we got to do this and that and be like, oh, looks like they're making plans to go do this. Kind of just like comment on what you just read. So in a way, it's like you're still keeping that dialogue up, but it's not something that you have to read nonstop because that's a lot. I noticed you did that last night, and I was, and I, and I, that clicked in my head as well. But you know what? To rob everybody of Barrett's amazingly dated dialogue might be the <laughs> Grand Theft RPG. I don't know. Dated? It was ahead of its time. Oh my gosh! It's so <laughs> offensive. It's it's written so specifically. No. Um, but no, we were talking about we've been talking about all the games that we love. I was thinking about all the games that I've played and have not finished. And I'm wondering. You guys are talking about this too, people. You, you know, you get a game if you try it, try it on stream, it doesn't dig into you're not going to play it. I wonder why have we not? We have all these subgenres of RPGs. Why has no one tapped into the casual RPG where you take like a, a, a Final Fantasy VII, but instead of giving us that forty-hour, fifty-hour quest, give us like a, a you know a, a small snippet of it? And I wonder if that's why they're breaking the the revamp into uh, into episodic segments. Because I I would love to play RPGs, but I get tired of them pretty quickly, and I I stop and I like go away from them, and then I come back and like where the hell am I? The save file, and I start again, and I it's rinse and repeat for me. But so is I that stream if, related? Uh, what about no? That, that no, that's that's me unstream related. Yeah. That's me in a nutshell. Is that I cannot usually finish long winded RPGs in one sitting, and that's my problem. So I that's, wonder. Uh, that's why no. I prefer RPGs that are the twenty to thirty hour length. Like anything over thirty hours is. But you don't know that going in, right? <laughs> I mean, these days you can kind of get an idea from early impressions or reviews like they'll kind of say this is how long it is um so when i read that an rpg is about 20 to 25 hours i'm like hell yeah that's just the perfect thing all the new research research what is that i don't i don't usually do it well i think even looking up something like a let like a how long to beat for rpgs i think it's completely like i don't even i try not to look at those because one 
I feel that that average style, whatever gameplay hours that they get, like it's not the way I would play an RPG. Like I tend to grind and over grind and grind and grind and grind and try to always be overpowered so it's not tough as I go forward. And I want to, I want to build up that ultra powerful team. So I don't know if that even applies when looking at those uh, how long to beat out estimates, for, especially for RPGs. Mm, that's why I like new games that come out, like Half Minute Hero, which takes like all this long-winded process out of it. All you do is in half a minute beat the, the end boss, basically. So it's it's an RPG because you've got gear, you have to fight the villains, and you know all of that. But it's just half a minute for everything, and it's really interesting how new games pop up that kind of try to remedy some things that don't go well in RPGs. Um, another example is Bravely Default. Um, not many people like that game because of one story thing, and I kind of get it. But what I really liked about that game is the fact that you can just like um, make battling e quicker. You can just speed it up. And you can kind of strategize it, like you fight four times uh, in a row, and then the next like four turns you can't attack. But if you've got like a weak enemy, like why do I have to wait and sit this out if I can just attack and kill it? So I really like how newer games, you know, kind of innovate on that aspect to make RPGs more interesting and accessible, easier to play. Mm. That's why I'm very curious about Octopath Traveler is because it's from the developers of Bravely Default. And I wasn't the biggest yeah. fan of some of the modern conveniences that that game gave me. But at the time, I was very jaded. Like when I, because when Bravely Default came out, we weren't getting too many traditional turn based RPGs. So that's why it was so exciting. I'm like, oh, this is a callback to, you know, what I love so much about old turn based RPGs. And then when I played it, I'm like, wait a minute, this is watered down and made very convenient. For, you know, for obvious reasons. It was very obvious to me why they were letting you adjust battle difficulty on the fly and, you know, encounter rate. But certain things I feel like it should be up to the developers to decide what their encounter rate is. I don't want that stuff left up to me. Mm. That's just a personal nitpick of mine, but I understand why it yeah. was made. Like changing the difficulty, like in a game, mm. like halfway through a level, I hate when... I know some people would say, don't, just don't touch the difficulty. But for me, it's like, it's really hard to resist. Let's just say I was playing Bravely Default and I got to a boss that was like impossible. It's like, okay, instead of just sitting here grinding for three hours, all I have to do is lower the difficulty and then boom, kill the boss and move on. So it's like, uh, it's just so hard to resist that. I feel like it's lazy programming. It's like they don't want to balance their own game, so they just leave it up to the player to decide when but to... If you do that, Pete, will you have to do that for every subsequent boss? I've never played a game like that where you had to can adjust the difficulty mid game, though. That's why I never finished Bravely Default. Oh, okay. <laughs> like I just couldn't, <laughs> I, I just couldn't take the fact that they they allowed such a thing. Uh, oh, like yeah. one of the things that ruins, but the reason why I hated originally is in Skyrim, I got to a dungeon where I was getting my ass kicked, and I'm like, that's it. I'm just tired of this. I can't can't take it my ass kicked in this dungeon anymore i'm under leveled for this area so i lowered the difficulty peace slayed everything in the dungeon <laughs> well this stems back to why i don't like adjustable difficulty anymore and then after i finished that dungeon i felt so bad i'm like oh my god that was just 
not satisfying <laughs> self control, man. I Come felt on, like I know that. that. No self control, bovine. If that <laughs> option is there, it shouldn't even be there for people like me. So that's why I don't. I don't like games that give me that option anymore. I, I mean, feel like I... if you choose normal difficulty, your ass has to commit to normal difficulty. <laughs> Agreed. I yeah. didn't. I didn't use it too much. I used it at a certain story point where I was like, "Okay, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna suffer through this. Okay, I'm just gonna turn all the difficulty down. I'm gonna counterweight zero. Just get through this tough part to play normally again." But since I'm playing the prequel on the DS, Final Fantasy IV Heroes of Light, which is like the traditional RPG, JRPG, if you want traditional stuff, don't play Wave of Evil, play that game, okay? So for me, it was kind of refreshing to just kind of speed through the battle system. And for the encounter right, it was quite useful if you had to grind. I had to grind for money at some point, And oh my god, that is so broken, by the way. <laughs> so, you know, money is always an issue in RPGs, so you get gear. And I'm not proud of that, but it felt really good to have so much money to just go in any shop and be like, I'm going to buy everything. So it's that's funny that another you bring point. Up, it's funny that you bring up Four Heroes of Light, because that, I feel like, is one of the most unmentioned Final Fantasy games like in existence. You never hear anybody talk yeah. about that game. Yeah. yeah, The art style is beautiful in that, though. Anyway. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the same style. I mean, um, if you like Final Fantasy III... Play that one, please. I just remember the battle, the camera in that game during battles being a little odd. Doesn't it like shift sort of like in a circular motion or something strange like that? I don't know. Mm. I just remember the battles, something about them was... I don't remember that part. It didn't bother me too much, but what bothered me about that part is you had to manage your um, items. Like, you had your bag, and you can only carry certain number of items. So when you had to go out in a dungeon or something, you can only carry so much items. And back in a town, you can, like, deposit everything in, like, a chest, which is set, which has unlimited, like, storage space. So they tried to make it more strategic, but it didn't work out. It was just, like, a real pain, actually. So... That was the uh, point I didn't really like about that game. Do you have uh, Miachum's? Do you have any RPGs you've played that you feel have gone unnoticed, or have you stuck to all the the well-known uh, stuff? Hmm, unnoticed. Um, it's kind of hard for the a, genre, right? Because I feel like any yeah. kind of decent. Like anything that's decent, I feel like is widely recognized, right? So it's kind of different. yeah, unnoticed. I can't really speak on unnoticed terms, not off the top of my head, anyways, because RPGs, like I don't know, I guess they're kind of wildly famous among people who love them. So there's like tons of people who love RPGs. So I don't know, man. Like, what would be an example of a really good unnoticed RPG? I mean, I don't, I don't know if I could think of one. Um, one that always comes to mind for me that I like to recommend is Brave Story New Traveler on the PSP. It's uh, it's oh. a very nice, lighthearted... It's based on a, a, ja- a book from Japan that was like one of the best sellers ever in Japan called Brave Story from Yuki Miyabe, I believe her name was. 
uh, just a like a class, you know how the Hobbit is really big in Western audiences. Well, this is pretty much like Japan's The Hobbit, so that's what this game is based on. Um, turn-based, kind of like a cool little comic book style. So like when you do attacks, it pops up with like wham and smack, and like yeah. it'll show it visually like a comic book. Uh, all the characters are kind of cool and likable. Stories, you know, <sighs> even though it's based on this huge novel, it's it's fairly straightforward. Uh, graphics are really nice for the PSP. That's why Brunch, I know you've been working your way through PSP stuff lately. So this is maybe one to... Yeah, I'm, I'm already uh, checking on eBay right now. I'm kind of think. I don't know if you could consider it an RPG. Well, I mean, I guess you can. But I don't ever hear people talking about Ever Oasis that much. Whether you want to call it an RPG or not, I, I think you can. I think Didn't it, it just a come out a year ago? Uh, has it been a year already? Yeah, it's been like a year. I oh just feel gosh. I just got lost in the glut of games, right? Because, yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's no reason for it not to be highlighted. But to me, it's just too new, right? That people are just saying, hey, I'll just throw this in the backlog and get back to it later or something. Yeah, that could be it. But my goodness, I, I never hear people talking about it. I mean, I feel I have the most of all the games in my backlog. I have more RPGs probably than every other genre right now. And it just, you know, like I think about all the original, like all the JRPGs, all the Japanese Super Famicom RPGs that we didn't get here, that there you can now get, you know, with repro cards or translation patches to play them full. Like, I feel there's so many that I'm just, I'm waiting to get into. Like, even something as, you know, basic as like Terranigma or Baumat Lagoon or, um, what is it? Second Densetsu 3 or essentially what would have been Secret of Mana 2. Like, I feel that those are all games. Like, I want to attack Mark. those first. I kind of want to hit them in, in order of, of release. Says the man that has yet to play an <laughs> RPG to completion. On Man, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, like I said, I used to play them, right? Back then. But I said, there's just been so many since then. Maybe that... you should pre-screen them, Bovine, like play a couple hours off stream and be like, all right, is this something I want to commit to? Yeah, I mean, and that's what I, I, I actually added that as part of my stream early on where I wanted to play through all of these RPGs that I didn't try, at least up to like the first battle so that, you know, kind of get through the basic intro, the story, get into the first battle to get a feel for the music, the characters, the battle mechanics. And that was actually really fun jumping through like a, a large number of RPGs to try to determine, you know, what wants to, what I want to have boiled up to the top of what to play. But again, I just, I feel now that I'll just be better suited just to play them offline and not on stream, unfortunately. I mean, maybe I'll give one series a shot just to see how it plays on stream and how my experience of playing the game goes. But I, I get the feeling it's just not going to be the same as me sitting away, grinding away for hours on Final Fantasy, you know, four back in the day. So, but we'll see. We'll give it a shot. I also really recommend, it's not like a game that people don't know about, but I, I really enjoyed playing through the last story on Wii. I don't know if any of you ever played through that. Nope. No. Just, uh, I mean, for a game called The Last Story, you'd hope the game story was really good, which it was. Like, if you asked me to sum it up right now, I'd have difficulty because I haven't played it in so long. But very, very cinematic game, action-oriented. Um, just visually, like, everything, The whole, it had the whole package. Fun battle system, action, uh, amazing music, great graphics on the Wii. I know a lot of people sing Xenoblade a lot of praise, but I think Lost Story kind of get lost in that shuffle so or last, last story, rather. story yeah last story uh, uh also, right. i think i streamed the beginning of that but that wasn't that more of a action rpg yeah mm-hmm. yeah okay uh riviera the promised land is also another personal favorite of mine started as a wonder swan game then it got ported to the game boy advance <laughs> and then the psp 
Yeah, um, I bought the a, Game Boy Advance version based on your recommendation, Pete. It's right here in my hand. Just so. such a different RPG because the thing about that game is free exploration is not a thing in that game. You only move sort of like a a board game almost where you move from screen to screen. So you only choose the direction that you move. What? And a lot of the game is dialogue based. It's mostly just story. And then it's just story moving from screen to screen, opening a chest or something and then fighting. But the fighting system is really dynamic because you have to choose what weapons and items you bring in the battle. So you have to be like, okay, I have this amount of inventory spaces. I don't remember how much it was, but I think it was like five slots or something like that. Where it's like, all right, do I want to bring potions with me? Do I want to bring an extra weapon? Because weapons in that game have a limited amount of uses. So you can have a weapon that breaks and you level up by using weapons a certain amount of time. So it's like this really dynamic system where it's like, you don't want to waste your powerful weapons on weak encounters. Um, you want to be able to save them for boss encounters and just a super unique and different RPG. Not for everybody. I'll tell you that right now. See, like those genre breaking like mechanics that completely change the way you play. Like, I guess I just need to jump into more of those to experience things outside of the vanilla turn-based JRPG game. So those, that sounds which interesting. Makes, which makes me think, meet chums. You've played the uh world ends with you on the ds which is in jrpg uh, isn't it yeah i guess you could call it that what what makes so, you think it's not one <laughs> um well no i'm just i never really thought like wow this, i'm playing a jrpg right now but yeah i guess when you step back and look yeah it's a jrpg but what were you asking about it well, how was it like it oh. kind of seems different than well cool a lot of complaints are well me specifically i kind of agreed with a lot of people's complaints that you know put it down after a couple hours you you don't just walk into the world to end with you and just play it like a normal rpg there's like a massive learning curve there's tons of different pins with all different move sets that you have to you know different patterns and techniques that you have to use with the touchpad but once you get it down and really understand and leveling up your pins and which pins work for which enemies and uh, what styles work for every area that you're in, it becomes like one of the, honestly, when I really think about it, I might consider that the greatest RPG I've ever played in my life. Wow. It, it's, re it's so damn good. So when the re-release comes out, which I think cleaned up a lot of the, you know, quality of life stuff that people had complaints about on the three or the DS version. When it comes out on the Switch, man, if you haven't played through The World Ends With You, I please do yourself a favor and pick it up and play it. it it's that good. Mm. So, yes, please, please pick it up and play it. Hmm. So I think we're uh, I think we're ready to wrap up our RPG discussion. Um, if we wanted to do a quick little roundtable, maybe pick out like one or two games that you guys have streamed recently. Let's start with Brunch, because I know Brunch might have to dip out here in just a little bit. Um, so Brunch, if there's a game that you've been streaming lately that you wanted to talk about. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, lately, honestly, I've been really trying to find, and I know a lot of people roll their eyes at this, but I've been really trying to find a lot of terrible uh, Game Boy and Game Boy Advance games, and I don't know what it is, but I'm really drawn to them. And because they're so cheap to get, it just seems like a match made in heaven because I have no competition. I have no like cost like gate in which I can't purchase these games. And uh, I just have been having a lot of fun going through them. And I, and I know you guys know what I'm talking about. 
Barbie horse adventures. <laughs> this mm-hmm. game gets a lot of a lot of flack, but I'm telling you, it's amazing to think that actual professionals work on these games. And I think for this particular game, it, it's a game driven at a younger audience. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know gender specify it, but I mean because anyone can enjoy this game. But I mean like that horse sprite is so beautiful, and it's on a Game Boy Advance. Top horse I mean, animations of all time. For yeah, sure. it's it's three quarter view horse. It's it's isometric it's horse. horse yeah, viewing isometric awesome. perspective. It's I mean honestly, like when you look at the Game Boy Advance and what that thing is doing for them to like to have the animations. So, I mean, I know in the end the game is is kind of janky and not something that you're gonna pick up when you're just craving an amazing experience. But I really do enjoy uh, finding these, and I and I've played through a bunch. That I, and I can't even think off the top of my head. Like I was playing through, I, I buy a lot of movie tie-in games for, for the original Game Boy, and I picked up uh, Terminator 2 and RoboCop. And RoboCop, in my opinion, was terrible. But Terminator 2 actually it was LJN game, and I've, I've had a lot of discussion about LJN's popularity or lack of quality. But this game really turned out to be good. So I, I think if people are, and I know you guys, I've been listening to the the old retro game explorers. Uh, Pete is slowly coming around to the, uh, or not slowly coming, but he likes to go through the uh, the loose Game Boys. I mean, I think if you can get a, any, any, I can't say no to a game that's a buck. I'm sorry. So anything that's a buck, I'll pick up. But honestly, I think I think it's it's worth. If you guys are lo- finding some loose Game Boy Game Boy Advance, uh, you know, go through it and pick it up and. I, yeah, I can't. I'm, my mind's. I'm terrible on the spot, guys. I'm telling you, brunch. You got to add Hunt for Red October on the Game Boy, specifically the Game Boy version. Grab that one. Um, good, or, good or bad, <laughs> just grab it. <laughs> I'll keep my eye out. But yeah, I can't think of anything else. That, that's pretty much the uh, the meat and potatoes of of the uh, the quality of stream you can find over here. Believe it or not, there's a certain YouTuber who will go unnamed that gave a nod to that Barbie Horse Adventures games on one oh, of his yeah. videos. And I, yeah, for real, so I don't know. They so might be talking about the PlayStation version. I think the PlayStation version is different than the uh, the Game Boy Advance version. So uh, It could have been. Yeah, I don't know. Brunch, just been. let me know ahead of time when you stream the Barbie, or the Barbie uh, Pet Vet game. That's the one I want to see, so. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, they'll all be knocked out. Eventually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's about it for me, Pete. Me, chums. Um, well, one that jumps out at me immediately is a game that's been on my hype list for a, a long time now, and I finally got around to buying it, which was Incredible Crisis. I understood that the uh, prices were slowly but surely going up on that, so I just decided, you know what, next eBay coupon that comes out, I'm jumping on that dang thing. So yeah, that's what happened. I picked it up, eventually streamed it. Um, it's I don't want to say too many spoiler things because I just my, it's my mission to see everybody that I love to watch stream play this game blind. But it, it's it's literally a game like no game that I've ever played before. If you guys have never played Incredible Crisis. I don't know. Just it's something that deserves to be in everybody's collection, honestly. Even for the price that it commands, I, what is it about thirty, twenty-five, thirty dollars? Uh, telling me it's reaching Blasto price levels? It, it's it's getting there. Well, <laughs> I I'd say they're about at the same level right now as far as pricing goes. But um, God, it's it's just I cannot believe. Well, let me just say this, yeah. I cannot believe this game came over. Like, who was dumb enough to take this and translate it and localize it for an American audience? Because it's like it screams Japanese, like 
every single second. Like, this is not a game for Westerners. But um, who was it? Titus, who came, who took the chance and localized. I forget who it was. Oh yeah, and I'm so happy they did with Superman 64. They make yes, yeah, great decisions. I'm sure it totally bombed in the United States. I tried to look up sales numbers, couldn't find them. But uh, oh god, what an amazing game! It's a treat for video game lovers. It's again, I don't want to say too much, but uh, that really stood out to me. Really enjoyed it. Just some of the wackiest stuff ever. Um, I, I think I'll end it there. It's uh, just. I played a little bit of Running Wild, which is a game I expect, expected to be a pile of garbage. One of the more fun games that I've ever played, especially on the PS1. I remember it's super that hard. Game. It's yeah. super hard. Like I, I like the concept of it because at the time, it was different because it's a racing game where you run on foot. And just that distinction between playing a racing game where you're running and hearing the pitter-patter and playing in a car like back then it was just so different to me but that's what's missing in that running wild game there's no pitter patter i'm so disappointed oh there's pitter patter is there i i've been watching yeah. the stream man. i haven't hear it. i don't hear it maybe because i hear it on my headphones he's always talking you never hear it yeah, yeah no I, I never shut <laughs> up maybe there is maybe i'm like i guess i can't hear it consciously putting it in i can't hear huh? it over the crunch of their cereal or i guess <laughs> i think Sorry. what it is there's so many power-ups and boost pads and everything that maybe it gets drowned out they're they're i don't know maybe Are you sure? I, I i swear there might it's not there it, it might not be there maybe i'm putting it in there just my brain's i mean after so much in. sonic r watching pete's new I, I maybe oh it's nowhere on the pitter patter of sonic r <laughs> the, the pitter patter just is shadowed <laughs> by sonic r's pitter patter but um yeah super fun game like like i said when it gets to like the hard and expert you basically have to be a speedrunner of the game to place in first place see now that's actually the prequel unofficially to mad dash racing on the xbox right. Yes, it totally makes me hyped up to play Mad Dash Racing now because Running Wild, it, it's, it's so well made. 989 Studios was killing it in the 90s. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So, Bovine, I hear you maybe have uh, played a certain console lately. What have you been streaming? That's true. Yeah, I won't be recommending a certain game, <laughs> but I'm going to go back to this. But. I was able to get my hands on what I previously had been stating was a hardware holy grail console that I just was always hoping and praying and wishing that there would be a chance to get a hand to get my hold on, hands on this piece of hardware and lo and behold things have lined up and I was able to get my hands on the Neo Geo Pocket K2 video development oh, press hardware $50,000 I cannot <laughs> believe that you have one of those. I'm sitting here looking at it right now, Meachums, and I still really don't believe it's sitting here. You're in shock. I am. You're, you're still me. feeling the shock. Yeah. I mean, you pretty much have a museum piece of history right there because there's only there like, three of them in existence. I was going to say, isn't there like five or something? Like I mean, there's three known units out in the wild That's uh, that people have been able to confirm. And beyond that, no one has ever said or known of any other units in existence. So, you know, and I'm not one to collect like super rare you know pieces of hardware or games or anything like that but this one and again it to me it served dual purpose one was that growing up with the neo geo pocket color i mean i love the system obviously everyone knows i love handheld consoles and mm. it just it was one of those this is literally a handheld console this one is literally a handheld <laughs> yeah. console but just being able to like you know hoping that 
someone out there was going to be able to create a video out kit for the Neo Geo Pocket Color. And then, you know, there's there's a number of other systems that are kind of sitting in that queue, like the Wonderswan that, you know, we hope will happen one day. But wait, knowing wait, that let's there just was... be real, though, Bovine. How pissed would you be if next month someone makes a commercial, like, ready to <laughs> ship for 200 bucks? consoleized version of Neo I mean, Geo you know honestly i would actually be totally fine with it only because yes like the purpose i you know acquired this unit was to mainly just stream like the collector value of it is there that's not important to me the main point was to get like an rgb signal to be able to output and if someone creates an fpga solution or something you know next month i i probably wouldn't even be that that mad about it in all honesty just because now knowing that having it and it's it's rare and it's it stands on its own it was developed by snk you know it, it almost in a way becomes my really my my first true collector's piece of what of anything video game related would you ever consider getting rid of it if you if there was ever an equal that was released that pretty much did the well, same thing especially if you could like sell it for more than you got it for um yeah i mean if something equivalent were to come out and it gave the exact same clean rgb signal out and you know, maybe it was even easier to use. I mean, yeah, I guess the, it would be a thing where I would obviously I would get that and then compare it against this board just to see if there's any differences. Oh, maybe there's more lag. Maybe the video signal doesn't get converted properly. There could be a number of things that make it a little worse than this. Hell, I mean, it could even be better for all I know. But I still Are you feel scared, though, that this thing might break and then you don't really know how to repair it or know someone that would be able to? I mean, on one hand... Uh, on one hand, I feel that if components were to go down on this, like there's a number of components that are standardized, like capacitors, resistors, if those things go out and if you're able to identify, you know, the point of failure, they should be easily, you know, they should be easy to replace. Now, if something major on the board goes down, like the main video processing chip or the main frame buffer chip or something like that, where there absolutely no one in the world would know how to fix it, that would be a little disheartening. I'm not going to lie. So on one hand, I'm going to try to, you know, treat this thing like a like a Fabergé egg and a, you know wipe it off with a diaper every now and then yeah. and carry it in a pelican case. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, there is that fear. And obviously, when I was sitting there trying to make up my mind over whether to get this thing, that was obviously a big part of it. But, you know, the guy who I bought it from, he said that it's never been used. They used it very, very infrequently. So it's not like there's been a lot of hours on this thing. So I just got to hope and pray that it's going to last for as long as I want it, you know, to last for. So hey, as long as it lasts, as long as me to play through the entire Neo Geo pocket collection library, that's good enough for me. I mean, at least it went to someone like you that's going to use and appreciate exactly. it rather. I mean, there's two purposes. I, I, I can see someone buying it to like sit in a display case in a video game museum or something. <laughs> but at the same time, it's being played and appreciated by you, which Honestly, there's not many people out there that would probably give it that light of day. I feel like the only other people that would have bought it is someone that owns like a video game museum nah, to put I, in a case. And as it is, the one other unit that I know of, it belongs to this guy. His name is Brian Hargrove, or more commonly known as Turf Masters out there. So he's had his unit for 10 years and he rarely uses it. He did like a couple videos on YouTube, which was the only proof that this thing even existed. And that's it. It just sits around. So, I mean, I'm glad that I was able to get a hold of it one to be able to show just truly one to just share the knowledge of this system and the games to everyone because i feel it's such an underrated handheld console a lot of their games were ex i mean every game essentially was exclusive it doesn't there's no other way to play these games anywhere they weren't ported to anything you can't get your hands on them to play i mean outside of emulation of course but i will say the only downside to playing this over an actual Neo Geo pocket color is you don't get to truly appreciate 
the amazing joystick. Um, the, well, the the funny thing is, it has a controller port on it to use any Neo Geo official controller. So I was able. Doesn't to, match that little knob, though. I mean, it's pretty <laughs> like if you use the CDZ controller, which is the no no the excuses. It's not the little knob. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, if if I can find a way to export amazing. that knob out to like a controller and modify it for it, I would do that because that stick does indeed this is one of the absolute best things about that system. That and again, you know, now hopefully with this KT video system, I'll be able to stream it more, show it to more people, and you know, get them to pick up a unit because the units themselves are cheap. You can get one for you know, 60 bucks. Some of the games are getting up there, but the majority of the library is still fairly affordable. So I, I think it was actually just recently announced that they've come out with a flash cart for Neo Geo Pocket Color. The, the, so there, was an, the there was an old one that was out for the longest period of time. It was very similar to those early GBA flash carts where you can hold like two, three games at a time. So they have this one supports up to like a hundred, I believe. So yeah. So the new one is just, it's this, um, it's the company that makes the flash card for the wonder Swan and the Neo Geo Pocket Color. So, and it, it supposedly works really well, high compatibility. So it gives you a flash card to be able to play all the games. So again, yeah, that would be a way to experience a lot of the games too. So, and I would recommend anybody to go to Bovine's VOD and watch the reaction of his chat to the reveal of that thing. Yeah, there was no one who was even close. I mean, I will say, you know, I had people trying to guess what the new console was going to be again, this mystery console fiasco. Ovine always trolling. <laughs> <laughs> he knows when no one's going to guess it. <laughs> but I do feel that this one was worth the reveal. So, <laughs> so yeah, highly, reveal, hi- highly recommend anyone out there, please, you know, check out the games check out my stream if you get a chance but you know first and foremost go out and try to get your hands on one because a criminally underrated system great games on there especially if you like fighters puzzles and i look forward to streaming them in the future for for everyone out there to take a look at and hopefully do it before it dies so pete he knows it's coming (laughs) uh i'll let futzbogle go first if she's been playing or streaming anything lately um, it's been quite the uh, busy week, so uh, streaming-wise, there's not been anything. I mean, I know you've been playing near Automata a little yes. bit. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Oh my, I love that game. I don't know why. I feel like since I've started like playing on my PC more and discovering Steam and all those awesome modern games I couldn't ever play before, uh, Neo Automata kind of blows my mind. I don't know why, it's just such a good relaxing game for me. Um, story-wise, it kind of holds up and what I like about that game is everything seems so huge. Like you've got this huge machinery and you're like, Oh my god, I'm kinda kinda pissing myself right now. How am I supposed <laughs> to do that thing? Did you play and the first like, near uh footsteps? No. No, no, no. And apparently like they are not really interconnected the story wise apparently okay. so i feel good about playing the second one first um but i will definitely go back to the first one just to see what i've missed out on so uh pc wise since i've got my new uh, pc um i'm just browsing everything and like getting all the games i i missed out on for quite a few years so um, definitely we've lost. To... We've lost foots to the world of Steam sales. I think. <laughs> we hardly knew the. 
<laughs> Definitely. So uh, not much off retro going on. Um, same way, um, privately on my own, I've been finishing Zelda Breath of the Wild today. And such a good game. I'm not going to spoil anything for you, don't worry, guys. But it's just such an epic game. I still don't know how I'm going to feel about this game, since many say it's like they're best Zelda game they've ever played, like even better than Ocarina of Time. So I've got to have to let it sit for a while, you know, to have this like more objective point of view, but it's pretty much up high there. Like it's, it's, it's so amazing to be an adult now and have the same experience somehow than I had when I was a kid playing a Zelda game. It's just just magical so um i'm lost in the uh, modern games world as well as of right now so maybe maybe i'm gonna go back to the uh, retro game exploring but hey <laughs> honestly yeah, enjoy I felt the that games way. while you have the time you know yeah, i felt that way about odyssey on the switch i feel it was such a great throwback so i hope when i play through breath of the wild that it's going to be the same kind of experience that you're talking about here but mm. it, it was it was like when I, because I never finished Breath of the Wild yet. I will get back to it eventually, but it, it was a feeling that I hadn't experienced in a game in years. Like just this sense of overwhelmment in terms of the world that was unfolding around you. Like a true open world where I felt like I could do and go anywhere. And uh, God, just certain certain parts of that game just stand out to me so much. Um, like mentioning one would be a spoiler for Bovine who hasn't played it yet, so I won't I won't mention it. But just the things that you can do in that game in terms of Nintendo thinking outside the box, where it's like, gee, would they let you do this so I can get over there? And it's like, holy crap, you can yeah. totally do what I'm thinking to get over to that place I'm looking at. Uh, in terms of how you traverse the world. See, I'm just happy that there was a game that Pete decided not to immediately speedrun when he popped it in and played it <laughs> naturally the first time. <laughs> yeah. uh, however, I'm definitely going to watch speedruns of that. I'm just so After curious the fact, yeah. how yes. they do Slowly it. Slowly converting her. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, like, it's technically possible, but I want to see how now that I've played it. So, you know, I'm spoiler free then. That's one of my new favorite things to do. Even if I play a game where I don't plan on speedrunning it, after I beat it or play a significant mm. amount, I'll I'll check out the speedrun just to see like the crazy stuff they do. I, I tend yeah. to do that now too. Um with Neo Automata, I did the same thing. I didn't watch the entire thing, like the entire speedrun, but it was there was a speedrun of it at AGDQ last year. Um, and wow, that was amazing because the guy who actually speedruns it, he's disabled. So he's only playing it with one hand and he's speedrunning it. Like, he's got the world record and everything. Like, I can't even play the game with two hands. And here he is. Like, get him to speedrun. And it's just, it's just amazing. So it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm, I'm getting more into that speedrunning thing. So. Uh -oh. Last but certainly not least, Pete, what what has been your highlights for streamings so far the last couple of weeks? I mean, I was having to prepare my submissions for Games Done Quick Express. Mm. Um, so, you know, off stream and on stream, I was having to de-rust and play certain games that I thought I'd never go back to, like the new Bubsy game, Revenge of the Woolies. But I said to myself, this could have a chance of getting accepted to a GDQ, and I wouldn't mind showcasing it there, so I had to spend a bit of time 
de-rusting that, getting a new PB. Um, the game is not good. Don't buy it. Unless it's like $5. <laughs> um, other than that... You're saying the Bubsy business card is not worth acquiring? No. Yeah, day is. one collector's edition <laughs> was a bad idea. Is that what you're saying? Yep. I mean, I knew that going in, though, but I'm a sucker for Bubsy, so... Um, other than that, you know, I was excited to get my hands on Luminous Remastered on the PS4. I might rebuy it on the Switch, just have it on both, so it's just convenient for me to play no matter what the hell console I'm playing at the time. That I mostly would get it on PS4. One, that would definitely 4K. be one worth owning on the Switch, I would feel. It is really nice, though, to play it on a PS4, just for the, the, the high 4K. resolution. Yeah. 4K, and also because I have my PS4 on way more often than... Although Switch. I was very disappointed it didn't support HDR color. That was a little disappointing especially for a game with such dynamic visuals so i mean i guess at that point though if you're streaming it none of that stuff matters anyway so <laughs> true like, i'm staring at the background in luminous <laughs> i played reboot on ps1 which uh is a is an amazing game just a little reboot being the the 90s kids show that had a video game on ps1 such an amazing game just god the downfall is just that the game is too difficult the, the missions and levels are too long. It's just way too hard of a game. I know Mia Chums was heckling me because he's like, oh, it's so easy, but deep down yeah. he knew that shit was hard. Oh, yeah, I was rubbing my hands waiting for you to get... You were like one or two levels away from getting through a level that just kills everybody. But, oh well. I gave up on it. I'm not sure I'll ever go back to it, but I'd still recommend it for people that are worth uh, or willing to put up on a crazy challenge. Oh. It's no spawn on PS1, I guess, huh? <laughs> oh, that game is... <laughs> that game is just not good. <laughs> well, I was hoping it would have been more broken and janky, but it didn't even have that to save it. See, so, yeah, like uh, like we've always said, right? A game that just does is not, uh, is not outstanding or extremely terrible, and it's just generic, that's actually even worse than just being a terrible game, right? So, I mean, what I look forward to in a bad game is the fact that it could possibly be broken. But if it doesn't even have that going for it, where I can like glitch in the game, then it has nothing. Poor spawn. So I also revisited, I streamed this like almost two years ago, Career and Squash on the GameCube. Mm -hmm. uh, related to a big series that came out on the Game Boy Advance that was really big in Europe uh, and a little bit in Japan. This one only came out in Japan on the GameCube. It's third and final game this series where it's just about a rotating stick that you try and get through um, environments like it's constantly spinning and you have to maneuver it through sort of like that irritating stick game I guess on PS1 just <laughs> a slight different twist to it operation uh, basically <laughs> in a, in a yeah, yeah pretty much moving maze. navigating it through these paths and obstacles and it was a lot of fun uh, it was the first time I beat it last time I played it I didn't finish it so this time I made sure to to beat it definitely a nice speedrun game i watched the speedrun it's super optimized like the stuff this guy does is ridiculous um but i think it still could be fun have it's you played GDQ the worthy. gba version of that game i haven't played the first one i've played i have the japanese sequel on the game boy advance but i never played that one uh this one just visually appeals to me more because it's in 3d like yeah, not 3d very but smooth. it's very nice rendered looking. in 3d just nice soundtrack just a relaxing game you know, I, I equate it to something like PC indie games, the ones like Super Hexagon or Super Meat Boy, where you just die and you just get right back in and try again. That's kind of like what this game is, because <laughs> the levels are nice and short. 
Um, I guess the last game I'll talk about is Kickmaster on the NES <laughs> by Taito. Super fun action platformer that uh, I succumbed to the same problem that Bovine had because this game uses the start and select buttons extensively. You, you press start to pick a power-up and then you press select to use it. However, playing this on an NES AVS, if you press start and select at the same time, it sends you straight back to the main menu screen of the AVS, like the boot screen, and you can't get back to where you were. So in the last level, right as I was like finally about to beat the game three hours in, getting to the final boss rooms and stuff, I accidentally pressed start and select a little too close together, and I lost all my progress. So. <laughs> Pete was trying that speed run strat of <laughs> quickly yeah. selecting items and going... Yeah, that because what happened, fun. you get too comfortable with selecting an item and then using it with those two buttons. So eventually, mm -hmm. like, you just, if you slip up and you press both buttons at the same time, oh well. Yeah, I mean, that was my oh, issue with that. Like, it has like, a oh, weird... hope you don't make the same mistake as me. And yeah. Sure. <laughs> well, the password system is just strange in that game because, I mean, I should have just finished it since I was so close to it. And I, I had a feeling I was pretty close to it. I couldn't tell if it was the last level because the map placement right before you start the level. Like it looked like there was maybe more space for a game, but apparently it was the last level. And um, it was in the end of a long stream. I stopped. I wrote down my password. I said, okay, we'll, we'll pick up this game immediately in the next stream. And when I put in the password, it, it started me at the right level, but it gave me the default health, which, you know, by the time you get to that point in the game, you probably extended your health meter. It's impossible to finish that game with yeah. default health at the yeah. last level. And I tried for like an hour and I, was, I couldn't even get to like the third, you know, part of that last level. I was like, forget this. I'd have to play through it all the way through again to regain all the health. So such a such a weird mechanic to be missing in the password system. But Was there a code to get full health? If there was, like the way they do the password is kind of like this grid system similar to Castlevania 3, I think, is or Mega Man 2, you know, where you put the dots on the grid. So I think if you're able to modify or see how they set up the password possibly there could be a way to change the placement of the code and then end up with more life but i'm not sure i'd have to look into that i mean i don't mind playing through it again it's a super fun game but very very disappointing that that happened though it's a hard game i mean the first few levels are fairly easy but man when you get to the last couple of levels that game is getting ready to kick your ass because the final level is like multiple screens multiple bosses yeah, and no checkpoints too. Or the checkpoints only last up to your lives, not through your continues. So very challenging. The right kind of challenge, I would say. Yeah, the kind of challenge where I felt compelled to keep trying until I beat the boss. Like death in that was not the game's fault. It was my fault. Yep. Outstanding music too. Just unbelievable music for the NES. Yeah, one of the more underrated soundtracks. Um but that's gonna do it for me. I mean I played other stuff, but I don't want to go overboard because we're <laughs> We're running a little late, so yeah, that'll do it. Brunch, by the way, uh, excused himself. In case you guys were wondering, what why he's so silent, he just had to head off. So just uh, thought it was just uh, shopping for PSP games too. So, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so I guess we'll, we'll end it there. Thanks everybody for your patience in waiting for the group to get back together between episodes. We were going to record something. Um, we have an episode sort of like in the books recorded without me when I was at GDQ. So in case there's a week where, or, you know, for one of our quote unquote biweekly episodes, uh, we got something to give you guys in case, in case we all can't be together to record. It's good to have an episode on reserve in case of 
something coming up at the last minute, you know. We're buff we're officially buffered now by one episode, so we got something. <laughs> Feels really good. <laughs> Mia Chums has been like every day. Can we record? Are we recording? <laughs> like, yeah, and then on the day we do record, he's late. It's so. true. <laughs> and that's how it works, man. <laughs> but yeah, thanks a lot, everyone, again, for checking out an episode of the uh, Retro Game Explorers. Once again, you guys can always feel free to provide us any questions, comments, or feedback, and you can send them directly to retrogameexplorers at gmail.com. We'll be happy to answer any questions and take any suggestions for the show. Like even if you want to comment on a topic, like if you have something that you want to sound off on when it comes to RPGs, if there's something you don't agree with, like if, who do you agree with more with me and Bovine? Should you, like, are you a person that played your first RPG in 2018 and you made it Final Fantasy 1? Write in and tell us the, the <laughs> mental problems that you're now suffering because of it. You know? And I don't want to hear from Goji Fox on this because I already know what he's going to say. <laughs> he did that exact thing. So. No, no comments from Goji. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a really fun episode. Um, RPGs, like, we didn't even cover, like... Scratch the surface. Uh, no. Yeah, exactly. But very interesting. It is quite... The thing about RPGs... And talking about that genre is just unlike other game genres, RPGs I feel have the widest scope of subgenres. So it's like you just say RPG, it's like what do you mean? Yeah. What RPGs are you talking about? You have to preface exactly. it essentially with some category. So many things to the genre that yeah, like we said, we just gave a general overview, sort of our histories yeah. behind them, you know. So thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>